Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We have had a few things happen here in the last week. Uh, probably been about 10 days since we've been with you. We're going to recap signing day real quick, look at the second signing day. We had a bowl game I was excited about, and then we had a bowl game canceled. Changes in the staff, additions to the roster, people going pro. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Billy, Jeremy, Happy New Year to you, fellas. You all doing okay tonight? Yeah, man, doing well. Happy New Year to you guys as well. Yeah, uh, you know, the the year might be different, but I feel like as far as the world of college football, nothing has changed a whole lot from year to year in the last decade or so. Well, we have Bama and Ohio State playing for the title, so uh, some things really do not change. (laughs) Jeremy, how are you holding up, my friend? I'm doing great. Happy New Year to you boys. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas and got some uh, much-needed uh, relaxing times. Um, we didn't get to see a bowl game, so I was disappointed with that for uh, TCU. But overall, what are we, January 3rd? We're already three days into the new year. Yes. It's been a great year so far. I'm having a great year so far. Good. Yeah, we're three days in. I'm, I'm having a great day, so I, I can't complain. But, uh, yeah, we're three days in, and uh, we've had a whole lot happen. So let, let's jump right into it. Jeremy, let's just go ahead and start with you. I, I know we probably could have, should have wanted to do a post-signing uh, day recap. So let's just do this real quick. Everybody that was going to be in the barn is in the barn. But you have been on the record saying that there were more surprises this signing day than you had seen in all your years of covering the Frogs, all the way down to a guy that you had never heard of that is um, uh, you know, a high, highly rec- uh, rated recruit that the Frogs were able to sign. Give us one or two highlights from signing day, specifically around what Frog fans might not have known if they hadn't been following uh, TCU recruiting for the last six, eight months. Well, I think the signing day in general was really big. I mean, if you look back at last year, uh, signing day brought Coleman into the fold, and I think everyone knows how well that worked out for him. Um, him, him having a great season, but I can't ever remember. And Billy, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they they signed five guys on signing day, and four out of those five guys were four stars. I mean, they got their two highest uh, kids in the class on signing day. Now, if you remember. Um, which a lot of you guys are uh, to Horn Frog Blitz, you kind of knew these things were coming, especially with Sam Jackson, Watkins. I started to hint around, and then I put a crystal ball in the night before. Uh, you guys all knew about DJ Rogers. Uh, the, uh, the Davion Armstead kid was kind of a surprise. I put a crystal ball in him in for him the night before. But the one surprise, and the thing you're talking about, Jeff, was was by far Quincy Brown because – as I'm following along with the signing day, uh, and, and we're all watching Go Frogs or CCU Football's Twitter page, uh, I was waiting for DJ Rogers to come in. And I text someone and said, hey, is Rogers still expected to sign? Yes, he is. And then I get a text saying, okay, we just got another another uh, signee. We should be releasing it pretty soon. And they released it, and it was Quincy Brown. I had no idea who the heck Quincy Brown was. and I literally had to look him up. I, I, I'd never heard of him as far as, you know, a 2021 prospect. But when I looked him up and saw a four-star 2020 prospect with the offers from Alabama and basically the entire SEC, I was like, how in the world did they get this kid? How in the world did they keep it quiet? 
And it was funny because I sent a text to to someone that was really uh, a big impact on that. And they sent me back one of those emojis with sunglasses on it because I was kind of making fun of them uh, getting one by me. So it was uh, definitely a surprise. And I'll be the first to admit if I get something by me, I'm not real happy about it, but I'll be the first to admit if, if I miss something. And Quincy Brown was definitely one of those things that that I missed. But overall, just the the guys they signed on signing day, a surprise like Quincy Brown and just them feeling a lot of big needs that they had. Uh, obviously getting a guy like, you know, Marvin, Marvin Covington late in the process was huge, big cornerback get for them. The two defensive ends I love with Chris Murray, Landon Watson, love receiver Chase Jackson. They didn't go real heavy on offensive line. Boltikoff is a guy that they, they have really high expectations for. He's hangs out with blaze fault. So he's literally, as I'm talking, he's probably on a bench press somewhere in Kansas right now. I mean, the guy just, lives in the weight room jasper lots you know jasper's an intriguing prospect guys he's listed as an offensive tackle but he played tied in in high school and i think he, he i mean he he wants to be listed as tied in but everyone projects him because he's such a big kid as a offensive lineman but he's going to go to tcu as a tied end. and if you looked at that state game that they had uh, which they won or got one he had a pretty big game i think he had six catches for 76 yards and two touchdowns. And when I watch Iowa State football and I see those big tight ends that they got, I wouldn't mind TCU having a big 6'6", 260-pound tight end that could get downfield and catch the ball like he can. But uh, overall, great class. And if you look at the the rankings, everyone that doesn't follow recruiting that much, they show a national rank of 58. But that does not include DJ Rogers. That does not include Quincy Brown because those guys – won't be calculated as 2020 prospects into this class. But if you look at average player rankings with those two guys involved, it's a really good class. Finishes third again in the Big 12 and I think around the top 25, top 30 range uh, in the nation. So uh, even though the uh, the quantity isn't there, as we've seen in, in recent classes, the quality is definitely there. I, I don't think anyone should just be taking a look at the, the class and just assume that TCU didn't have a, a good class like they have in years past. Billy, this is your first year here on Horn Frog Blitz. How did you feel about the way the frogs closed, especially some of those surprises? You know, you've covered recruiting for for many years. How do you feel like TCU did in this 2021 haul? Yeah, man, like Jeremy said, I think they finished really strong. He he kind of said, I don't remember them having a day like that on signing day where they brought in all the four stars, uh, the bulk of them in the class coming in on signing day. Wasn't expecting that at all. But I do think it's a really nice group. I mean, you like you said, not a whole lot on the offensive line. I was a little shocked there's not a whole lot on defense, but then you look at the the, the current depth chart, obviously a couple names are coming off that we'll get to a little bit later, uh, but there's so much coming back like all over the field for TCU. Uh, there's really not a need for a massive class. You want to see a couple more guys in here. I'm sure they'll get a couple more before the next signing day. Obviously a big addition earlier today too, uh, but this is a group that I think it, it's going to be nice. It's, it's Again, it's quality over quantity. Uh, TCU does as well, and then as GP always says, it's, it's not our rankings, it's their rankings that matter. And uh, so I, I'm trusting GP. I'm trusting the TCU coaching staff. They got some uh, some diamonds here in this. Well, I want to throw in a little local flavor here. When I lived up in Chicago, I officiated in, in the, the western suburbs. I had to go back and, and kind of think through my mind. I officiated one of Sam Jackson's games when he was a freshman at Naperville Central because to say he was a standout of man among boys w- would be an understatement. 
and I actually have have a friend of the show uh, now that he signed and in the barn. I can kind of out this Rick Hamilton. He went to TCU. He went to Bright with me. Uh, his son played defensive tackle at, at Neighborville Central. And the day before all this broke, I kind of called him and said, hey, Rick, is this guy good? And he's like, he's amazing. I can't believe he's going to Purdue. And I'm like, well, uh, pay attention. And so he uh, he says he's a great guy, says he's a great player. Uh, you had commented on this, Jeremy. He has uh, Chicago, Illinois did not play high school football this fall. They're going to play some uh, modified spring ball, but said that he has been basically working day in, day out with a quarterback coach up there. And I know that there's a lot of trainers in, in the West suburbs there in Naperville where Jackson's from. So even though he didn't have a year, you really can't replace that. He has had a lot of intensive training here um, during this fall when, it, when he wishes he would have been on the field, but weren't able to. So be interested to see what Jackson's able to do, because that was another one of those late flips that you kind of heard about and then you read about. And then all of a sudden it happened. And I think the frog's got a good one in him. Yeah. If you look at the film, I mean, anyone that hasn't watched Sam Jackson's film, watch it. I mean, the kid is electric. He, he has such a very fluid arm. I, I, I haven't seen like his release is just incredible. And the, the, the strength at which he throws the passes. I mean, those those passes he's throwing from the middle of the field to the right sideline or left sideline are incredible. They are on a rope. Um, he does a great job leaving the pocket. Those who have watched his film said the same thing about uh, Jackson as they do Doug, and he's got great escapability because he's having to run for his life a lot of times. But if you if you watch the way he just gets rid of that ball, man, he, it, it's, so, it, it's so reminiscent of the way Trevon Boykin used to – used to throw and, and, and just run an ability period and the size. I mean, everyone's going to look at the similarities and, and see the same thing, but I was told specifically, this is the guy they wanted. Uh, there was talk back and forth. Kyron drones was the guy. I, and I, and I mentioned that on the board, but people probably d- didn't read it or went right past it. But uh, Kyron drones was the kid that I was referring to. That was real close to decommitting uh, from Baylor. Um, there was, there, he's got family that, uh, played at TCU and, and there was really a back and forth, but it came down to who they want to take. And, and Sam Jackson was Sam Jackson was the guy they really wanted. Uh, Doug Meacham recruited him. That's the guy he wanted leading his offense. And it's a, it's a huge get. You're, you're right. They didn't play football uh, this, this fall, but if you look at his highlights, he's doing that as a junior going against uh, obviously juniors and seniors. And, I'm I'm real excited to see what he's going to be able to do. Him him getting on campus early is going to be huge for him. He'll get to go through spring camp, uh, get to add weight, get in that strength and conditioning program, and hopefully uh, by the time fall rolls around, he'll be ready even more. And if the quarterback room changes a little bit, we'll talk about more about Chandler Morris arriving. But it's it, it went from pretty bleak to pretty interesting in a span of about two weeks um, for TCU. It's going to be fun to watch at that position. Yes, it will. We'll get to that in a second. Um, all right, good good signing day recap. Let's go to the, the Debbie Downer of it all. Um, the bowl game was canceled. I was so looking forward to watching the Frogs fry up some bacon against Arkansas. But, you know, Texas Bowl gets canceled. we got COVID issues. We'll talk about why uh, why the game was canceled, the logistics of all that in a second, Jeremy. But, Billy, how, how disappointing was it to not be able to watch the Frogs close out against Arkansas, an old Southwest Conference opponent, in a game I think the Frogs could have won and moved the Big 12 to 6-0 and in bowl play? How, how big a letdown was that for you? 
Well, yeah, I think every fan was disappointed. Just one last uh, middle finger from 2020, if you will, to get that game uh, canceled. Because I think everyone was excited. Everyone was excited to, to, in a way, celebrate the season, the fact that they got this many games in, especially TCU had won five of their last six games. They had won two games against ranked teams. They basically had the same resume as Ohio State going into the uh, offseason. Uh, and and here we are. They're ready to play Arkansas, which game wins. Um, they were fun this year. They weren't necessarily good. I think they started off really well uh, and then we're uh, petering down the stretch whereas TCU was climbing down the stretch. So I think it's a game that TCU would have won right, handedly like you said. Uh, would have moved Big 12 to 6-0 and it would have been a, been a nice send off to 2020 but yeah last we got stuck watching uh, New Year's Rockin' Eve with uh, the corpse of Dick Clark. So that was fun I guess. No, that was not fun. I want to go on the record about that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> My goodness. I did kind of scoot around watching um, some of the shows. I was like, why have I haven't? Why have I not watched these since I was nine? And then I remembered, oh, I'm usually watching a pretty good bowl game from seven until uh, you know eleven o'clock, and then you know go to bed. So I would have given anything to watch the frogs on New Year's Eve, and I think there would have been a pretty good. Uh, uh, I think the viewership would have been pretty high because, you know, people are not hopefully, you know, elbow to elbow at the bar until 2 a.m. And I think some people would have watched that game. So that would that that just sucked. There's no other nice way to say it. Uh, well, Jeremy, walk us through the the how, you know, I know there's uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced that Patterson just canceled the game because he was afraid of Arkansas. He saw the <laughs> FCC logo. Um, he looked at the offensive coordinator and knew that he couldn't stomach just another loss to Bryle. So um, tell, tell us a little bit about why that game was called off. Man, it happened so fast. It, it was funny because I was actually doing a podcast with Trey Biddy, um, publisher over there at Hog Sports. And, man, he's such a good dude, does a, does a great job over there on their site. And, and I was visiting with him, and I got a call and couldn't obviously take it right then. So I called the person back. and. So, hey, what's up? And they told me, man, something's going on over there. Something's going on at TCU today. Something's weird. You need to make some calls. I'm like, okay. I said, something weird. By, by what, by, what are you talking about by weird? He goes, I, I don't know. It's just something's up, man. Something's up. And so I can't get too much into detail because I don't want you guys talking, you know, figuring out who I was talking to or anything like that. But, um, it was, was, it, was it Chancellor Bashimi? <laughs> hey, Jer. No, I can't do. I can't do uh, Chancellor. Hey, Bashimi. Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, you do it better. You, you got. I've got such a slow Southern draw. I don't think I could. I, I don't think I could imitate his. Um, but anyhow, I, I I got that call, and so I started making calls, and it was it was kind of strange because I just told Trey Biddy, you know, an hour before. Oh yeah, I haven't heard anything. COVID-related injuries seem to seem to be the same. Still missing the same guys, but everything seems to be a go. And then um, after making several phone calls, then I got another phone call from the, the the guy that called me before and said, "Hey, I'm hearing more from a different side, this and that." And I'm thinking, "Okay, well, I'm I'm about to get to the bottom of it." And right about five minutes before I made the post on the board, I talked to. Uh, a couple more people and got it 100% confirmed that it wasn't, the game wasn't going to happen. And right when I was posted on the board, I think trade called me and said he is, was hearing the same thing from his, from his sources up at Arkansas. Um, someone had made a post on, on Twitter from that covered Arkansas said that the buses were sitting, sitting there for an hour 
that they were just sitting there waiting to be told what to do um, with, with the, you know, Arkansas football team on them. So you knew something was really, really up in, in that regard. But long story short, it basically came down to TCU not uh, being above the Big 12 threshold uh, for players that were available to play. I was told uh, specifically defensive tackle and, and safety was basically down to a bare minimum. Um, they, they, they had so many guys that were either hurt, uh, tested positive for COVID or were close contact that, that there was just no way. Um, defensive tackles, you were basically down to, uh, uh, forgive me if I'm, if, if I end up being wrong, but I was basically told two to three players. So you, you can't go out there and expect to expect to have, especially if it's two defensive tackles, uh, go out there and roll with those guys for 60 snaps. And TCU doesn't do that. Those guys typically play between uh, anywhere from 30 to 30 to 40 snaps a game because uh, they have so many guys that rotate in and out. So you're asking them to play way more snaps. And then if you, you get hurt, you're down to one defensive tackle. So they didn't have enough players there. I was told for the five secondary positions, they had five players. So basically, you're under the threshold there. You don't have enough um, in case anyone gets hurt during the game for that. So it's it just came down to not having enough players. didn't have anything to do with Gary not wanting to play Arkansas. Trust me, this team wanted to play that game. This team was uh, very eager to go out and play an SEC team. Uh, especially with as much confidence as they were playing with the last few weeks, as you mentioned, Jeff, there is there is no way they did not want to play this game. It just came down to numbers, and and whether TCU fans or Arkansas fans want to believe that, you know what, you can believe what you want to believe if it helps you sleep better at night. But I could tell you, um, as someone that's covered the program long enough, uh, TCU wanted to play this game. They just didn't have enough players to do so. Well, it sucked because I wanted to play that game. Or I wanted to watch that game. I wasn't going to play it. I was looking forward to watching that. But, hey, that's the way it goes. As, as Billy said, it was kind of the last middle finger from 2020. Uh, a couple of the things that obviously came out um, with with the cancellation of the game is that we have two safeties going pro. Trey Morig and uh, Ardarius Washington are both going pro. Billy, what, what's your assessment of their decision, each one of them, and then, um, who do you, who do you see stepping up in the, into those positions for for twenty twenty one? Well, Merrick wasn't a shock at all. I think he was a he was being mock drafted to the late first round ever since the the I think beginning of last season. Uh, so I think that wasn't a big shocker. Would have loved to see him stick around, obviously. So I think next year could have been uh, the chance to be TC's greatest defense ever. But uh, you know, not no surprise there. He'll be great. Uh, Our Darius was a little bit of a shocker to me because I kind of thought. With the year he had this year, he wasn't as good as the year before, wasn't as productive as the year before, but maybe he'd stick around uh, and get another year kind of like his freshman year and build off of that success. But uh, he's going to go chase the money. It looks like he's already uh, looking at some of the pictures he put on Twitter. Maybe he's already met with his agent a couple times. So uh, not a total surprise there after seeing that. But as far as next season goes, I still think they're, I still think they're in good hands. I think Bud Clark, we saw a little bit, I think, in the Kansas game. I think he'll step up into a major major way. And uh, Nuke Bradford, we saw quite a bit this season anyway. Also, Josh Foster came in and replaced uh, – was it Mary who got kicked out for, for a target? No, Ardarius kicked out for targeting. And Foster came in, I think, had a pick on his first play. So I'm not too worried about the safety spot – Going forward, I, it's just it's a shame you're not getting two of the best talents in the nation to come back one more time. 
Yeah, I, I think I agree 100 percent with that assessment. I really wish our wish our Darius would have come back. I don't fault. I never fault a kid um, leaving early if, if they're going to get drafted. I, I'm not in their situation and um, it's not my body. And you, we all know that you're you're one ripped ACL away from uh, hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars going away. So um, I wish I wish our Darius would have come back, but he's making a choice that he thinks is wise and I wish him the best. Jeremy, you had one other uh, piece of news that we do have another play- player that's not leaving, but he's he's coming back on the offensive line. I, I don't think he's going to get a scholarship for uh, Taekwondo or, or anything like that. But on the offensive line, who, tell us a little bit about a returning starter. Well, hopefully he comes back. I mean, I first he was not coming back from what I was told. Then I was told that he was coming back. And I, and I believe the information I got uh, here recently because – it, it became a point to where did they need to go looking for a grad transfer as an offensive lineman? And basically what I was told is that TJ told him not to, that he was coming back. So that's huge. If it ends up being uh, 100% true, that's huge that he's coming back. I think the offensive line changed when he got in, uh, put into the starting lineup at left tackle. Obviously he played much better than Austin Myers. And I did a story on the, the top 10 impact players um, from the season, and I think I had him five or six, and I could have honestly put him higher to just the way he improved that offensive line and especially protected Max's blind side. They weren't perfect, but he brought a certain moxie to the offensive line, a toughness, and I think with him coming back, you offensive line, we may look at this next year and be like, our expectations as media and fans are going to be so much through the roof for the offensive line because – the way they were able to succeed this year had so many uh, moving parts. And the funny thing about it is a lot of those moving parts are coming back. You, DJ's coming back. You have Wes Harris that will be healthy now. You have uh, a guy like uh, Avila coming back, Big Steve, instead of Esteban Steve. Steve, I think uh, you know he's going to be uh, really good. I think they want to play him at center more than they do tackle, obviously. And he's the guy they expect big things out of next year. I mean, they – they they think he's going to be the next big offensive line for them uh, as far as track. I hope we can get Esteban and Steve on the field at the same time. That'd be great. <laughs> but they have so many guys, so many guys coming back on the offensive line. But I, I think it starts with TJ, and um, obviously he plays the most important position uh, on the offensive line. And there's there's no denying. I, I think any TCU fan that that watched every game this year, once he got put into that starting lineup against Oklahoma. Things changed. I mean, they they instantly got better, and uh, you know, hopefully, it all all comes to fruition. And I, I do know some players sent off for uh, where they would be predicted to go in the draft if they did enter. And Trey was the only one that said that wasn't told to go back to school. And I don't know if Stormit sent off his uh, little flyer, whatever they need to send off, but. That says that says something about our Darius too, because I believe he was told to come back to school, but he he decided to go into the draft anyway. Well, we'll see how that all shakes out. I'm going to share your um, positivity and optimism around the offensive line. I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. Um, spring ball, hopefully, and then as we roll into the fall of 2021. Well, can you guys believe we've gone 23 minutes without acknowledging the departure? of offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, Sonny Cumbie. Cumbie came here from Tech in 2014, obviously helped engineer 
uh, three top 10 finishes, called plays in 2017, was the co-offensive coordinator and quarterback coach for 14 and 15 and helped oversee the transformation of Trevon Boykin on the field. But Billy, how do you feel about the departure of Sonny? Uh, we'll, we'll let Jeremy talk about what, what we're going to do to fill in the gaps on that. But, you know, just looking back on the years that he was with the program, how do you grade him? How do we assess Sonny's time here? And uh, what do you think Tech is getting with his leadership? Well, 14, 14, 15, 16 is hard to not to be like an A plus, right? As, as great as those teams were and solid as they were, obviously dwindled a little bit from there. But as far as like getting uh, the person, Sonny Cumbie has always been one of the nicest people on the staff, one of the greatest people on the staff that I've I've met, I've gotten the chance to work with and talk to. Like he's just a phenomenal human being. So that's that's a great improvement for tech in general. They probably can't handle that over there. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but production, obviously, you look at the box score, look at the stats. Last couple of years, it's been a bit of a, a, a dwindling down, and obviously he's uh, had a change in his duties this before this season. So I think the writing was on the wall for a while, and he was uh, ready to go, kind of counting down the days so he got to go uh, somewhere else and. And maybe get a get off to a fresh start back at his old stomping grounds, and uh, maybe bring some some goodness to Texas Tech that they need. Billy Wells told him he's got a blank canvas to uh, to write on, to paint on. So basically, he has been handed the entire keys to the offense, and I think that's been one of the ongoing struggles here. Is what what does Patterson want to have done? What does the offensive staff want to do? Where are those things aligned? Where are those things in conflict? Uh, what what do you what kind of just offensive philosophy do you see Sonny putting on the field against this Big Twelve rival when he takes the reins up there in Lubbock? Well, he put up 82 the first time he got to play against Tech. So I guess the first time he plays against TCU, will go for at least 83, right? Let's just, just gonna pencil that in. Uh, hey, I want to acknowledge I was out there when he put up 70 against us. <laughs> that was, I think, my was that my freshman year, maybe? I was watching it on TV in the dorm. I was like, oh, my God. I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and drove out there with my friend Clay, and it was the longest drive back I've ever been on in my life. So, Do you remember – did y'all, y'all watch it in person, I guess, then, Jeff? I, I was there in Lubbock for the game. Okay, Billy, do you remember? Do you remember that game? Well, wasn't it? Wasn't TC winning like twenty-one nothing or something off, off the bat? Yeah, it was yeah. twenty-one nothing at the end of the first. So, so for those for those of us that were watching on TV, not to get too far off track, but this is this is in uh, what we're talking about. After they jump up twenty-one nothing, you know how the TV guys usually get behind the bench and of the winning team, and there's guys talking into the camera or whatnot. Marvin Godbolt turns to the camera and says, they not scoring on us today. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that was a lie. <laughs> and they proceeded to score 70. Oh, I, think, I think it was 70 to 35. Yeah, it was 21 nothing. Uh, eight minutes and 10 seconds left in the second quarter. And then they scored uh, the next – it was 56-21, two minutes into the fourth quarter. So <laughs> – yeah. The next eight touchdowns were all Texas Techs. <laughs> I do remember the the return game on that in tw- in 2006. First of all, Marvin White decapitated. That was the, still to this day. I know Jeremy's tired of me hearing uh, hearing me talk about it. The the greatest hit I've ever seen in my life. TCU won 12 to 3 and they and they uh, reduced Tech scoring capacity by 63 points from mm-hmm. game from one game to the next. So it was great. Uh, yeah, I was Maybe. dang proud of that. So, so what are we going to see out there? Obviously, we're going to have character out there for the first time. Sonny is is a man of impeccable character. What do you think he's going to put on the field? 
less talent than he has here. Uh, it's I think it's going to take a while for Texas Tech to build up uh, what TCU has talent-wise. I don't know if they've got Duggan walking through that door or anyone close to that. I, I know it seems like every every week what McLean Carter was getting hurt and what Jet Debbie's a two-lane now, I think. So I think it'll take a little while to build uh, what he's got. And you could see TCU do to him what they did to Meacham when he was at Kansas and give him, what, 27 yards of offense. So, yeah, I think it'll take a, take a couple years or to, to get some offense going. But Tech's now a, a basketball and baseball and a meat judging school. So good for them. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's uh, – with his canvas, with, with the way TCU recruited quarterbacks – I think he's going to go a little bit different route. I don't think he was as much into the dual threat quarterbacks as Coach Patterson is. Coach Patterson hates defending running quarterbacks, but he loves having them. If you look at the way TCU recruits quarterbacks, 95% of them are dual threat guys now. It's very seldom that they recruit a quarterback that can't run. Sonny, I think, is, a, is, is going to be a guy that will like a guy that can run or sit there in the pocket and throw around all day. I really think Alan Bowman's going to be the guy. I don't. I, I've never been real big on that Colombi kid that transferred from Utah State. Matter of fact, when they announced that he was going to start against TCU, I was like, TCU's winning this game because that that kid's not very good. I don't think he's very. I don't think he's as good as Alan Bowman is at all. But I, I, I see Cunny, Cunny, Sonny getting getting a, a quarterback that gets rid of the ball pretty fast, and I think that's what Alan will be able to do. Um, and that's that's his biggest objective right now, just trying to figure out who's going to play quarterback because they've got a pretty good quarterback roster. And uh, Eric Uzakama is a, a really good receiver that they have coming back. So I, I think they have a chance to be decent on offense, but I don't know if they're going to be able to to put up against uh, put up a lot of points against TCU at, at that first go around. But I will know that he'll probably keep a lot of gadgets in his sack until that uh until that game because he's going to want to pull out a lot of tricks yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds i think i think sunny is is gonna do what nobody does anymore which is actually run the air raid you know the leech air raid which is mesh and the quarterback takes it the in this takes the snap seven yards deep and uh, knows exactly what they're running towards. So I'll be or wh- wh- who he wants to hit. I'll be interested to see what he runs. But yeah, I'm I'm going to agree with you, Jeremy. He doesn't really have the bias towards a mobile quarterback the way that Gary does, and the way that he he had the two tools to utilize here from from Trevon uh, to Kenny to Max. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I'll tell you this much: if if Sonny had the the final decision, Ken Sills would have been at TCU. Okay. Instead of, instead of Vanderbilt. Okay. And that, that fits what we're talking about. You know, Ken Seals has got a great arm. He's a good quarterback. Uh, he, he is not fleet of foot the way that, that Max is. So, right. Interesting. Okay. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, we are, uh, we're, this all ties together here. So, we're going to talk about what, what, what are we going to fill. Um, but everybody thought, hey, Chandler Morris is coming to TCU. So, therefore, the replacement for Sonny Cumbie has to be Chad Morris. Jeremy, can you confirm my Twitter internet rumors that, hey, if they're if, if Chandler's coming, it means that definitely that Chad's coming. It's all set up. Is that correct? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Not well, even walk, close. <laughs> walk us through the replacement as well as the new quarterback. Well, the replacement's still up in the air. Uh, I 
talked to some folks today about it and it's still still not decided. But I did mention on the board a few days ago kind of what I think is going to happen because I've I've listened close enough, I guess you could say. With Rusty Burns retiring, Tim Beck, not the one at Texas, that was at Texas. Tim Beck, for those that don't know Tim Beck, Tim Beck was at Pittsburgh State. So Google Tim Beck, Pittsburgh State, or you're going to think it's the Tim Beck that was at Kansas. Or, uh, yeah, he was at Kansas at one point and Texas. But I think Tim's going to fill that role Rusty's leaving as an offensive analyst. And at quarterback coach, I've, I've said this a hundred times but because I, I know there's some posters out there that will still say, well, this guy can bring in something innovative, this and that. TCU has their offense. They're satisfied with their offense. I, I, I know 100% they are satisfied with the direction it's going. They need to tweak a few things to make it even better, but that's that's the focus right now. The focus is not to change the offense. The focus is to improve what they have going right now. And the last few games, they started to get in that direction and and started to, to put better numbers up. Now, we could argue if that competition was good or not, but fact of the matter is the stats went up the latter half of the season. I think, me personally, now this isn't me reporting this. This is just me just saying my personal opinion, I think Coach Patterson is probably going to move Kenny into that role. And the reason why I think he's going to move Kenny into that role is because Kenny's been around. He's mid to late 20s now. I think he's 26. He's kind of been with the quarterbacks the last three years. And he's been on the field with them. This past year, the quarterbacks went straight to Kenny after after every uh, possession. And so he's talking to them. And he did pretty good, I guess. You know, the, the last couple of weeks, they didn't have very many bowl practices. But it's, this isn't a knock on Sonny, but it, it, it very well could be. I was told Max looked the best he's looked all year the last two weeks throwing the football. So I don't know who you give credit to. If you give credit to Kenny, you give credit to Tim Beck, or you just give credit to Max just up in his game and, and wanting to do better. But uh, I think uh, as far as, as Kenny goes, he's, he's still got some some more uh, things he needs to learn uh, schematically. He's he's not he hasn't been to to multiple places. He doesn't have a lot of coaching knowledge, but what he does have is uh, a, a great interaction with players. The the quarterbacks love him. Um, he's he's just a great personality. He can go out and recruit. I think if you have Kenny Hill out on the road recruiting, it's just going to be like Jeremy Modkins. Jeremy Modkins had never recruited before. He was he was basically a defensive analyst and just had recruited on campus. The only time he could recruit is if a kid came to campus and those kids would leave campus, they'd be talking about Jeremy Motkins. Well, I think the same thing that's kind of happened with, uh, with Kenny. And once Kenny's able to go out on the road, go to these high schools, get in these living rooms, I think you're going to see the same kind of response. Quarterbacks are going to gravitate toward Kenny, uh, quarterback recruits. So I think in that regard – yeah, I think that's what Coach P would ultimately have to look at. Can can he continue to bring in top-notch quarterbacks? And what I've also mentioned on the board is you still have Jerry Kill. If you if you put Tim Beck into that analyst, analyst role, you still have Tim Beck. So he has older guys to rely on. It's not like Kenny's taking over an entire offense. He's been in those meetings. He's been in, he's been in every offensive meeting that they've had the last three years. And he's he's got knowledge of the offense. He knows the offense better than anyone else. 
uh, wood coming in from somewhere else. So that's the reason why I think Kenny would be the option right now, the best option uh, as far as where TCU is going. Like I said, they're not bringing in someone to tweak anything, to, to be innovative. They've got their offense. They need someone that's already on board with it. Kenny makes the most sense. Well, we'll see how that unfolds in the next week or two. I think that's a, I think that's probably the inevitable move, and I think it's not a bad move. But by all means, you guys keep posting about other guys coming in and how they could bring in the offense if that if that helps you guys. But that's boring. Kenny Trill is boring. We want to go crazy. What did you say his last name was, Billy? Trill, baby, Trill. That's right, Trill. True, boring. True and real, Kenny Trill. We're going to keep it true and real. That's the heir apparent to Johnny Manziel. Thank you all very much. Um, turns out he's the heir apparent to Foster Sawyer. So. <laughs> or the heir apparent to Sonny Cumbie as TCU quarterback coach. <laughs> That's great. Well, hopefully you didn't notice we had a few recording glitches there. Let's pick right back up. Uh, Billy, were you surprised that uh, Chandler Morris is coming here without his dad? How do you see that he's going to stack up inside of the quarterback room? Highly rated four-star out of Highland Park, sat the bench one year under Lincoln Riley. Now he's making his way to Fort Worth. Your thoughts on that? Well, under future quarterback coach Kenny Hill, I expect him to come in and, and lead the charge right away. No, I don't know. I think he's obviously behind Doug, and at least for the first year, you think. Um, and plus, you don't know how the transfer rules are going to go uh, because you have NCAA and Big 12 rules, and they're all different, and none of them make any sense. They're all made up on the fly. Uh, but I expect he'll come in and, and at least be the backup, right, behind behind Duggan for a year or two. And you also have Honig there. You have Sam Jackson there. Uh, so I, you feel good about the quarterback room, and you feel good in case – we don't know with Duggan with this – with this heart thing, we should be all good, right? But you don't know with COVID, everything else going on. Anything can happen nowadays. You're, you're one uh, twisted ankle, one torn ACL, one separated shoulder away from getting into the game. So it's good to have depth or the quarterback spot. And considering TCU the last couple of years have had issues there, uh, it's nice to get in a guy that you that you saw in high school, a local kid, really talented. Again, his dad probably will not be joining us. Uh, but it's, it's good to see him uh, wearing purple. And I think it will be a good addition to the team one way or another. Yeah, I think it'll be good for the quarterback room. He, he will not start over Max next year one way or another, but I do think it's going to be a really good competition. It's nice to have a highly rated player that at least has, you know, if you're going to spend one year learning somewhere, might as well learn from Oklahoma. Hey, somebody had said it. Bring the playbook with you if you don't mind. Uh, maybe steal some signals, all that kind of good stuff. So um, I, I think it's going to be a, a real asset to the program. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about how this unfolded here quickly. I mean – happened really quickly to be honest because he had just uh played what was it wednesday night in the cotton bowl and then the next day he's announcing this transfer and uh by friday he's in the portal um so it didn't it obviously didn't take tcu very long to uh to make contact and for chad to to make his decision and i don't want to imply anything but it you know some of these when those Things happen so quickly. It's maybe the player already had his eye on the school, and all he was waiting for uh, for was an okay. And uh, as quickly as that thing happened, I I got I got to think that's probably how it went down. It's like the the guy that breaks up with his girlfriend and has a new girlfriend by the end of the day. He he kind of had a plan there, <laughs> for sure. 
For sure. All right. Well, let's move along here for the rest of our show. Um, real quick, Jeremy, what should we keep an eye on for second signing day in February? What are one or two names or two or, th- or one or two positions of need that you think the Frogs are going to fill? Well, they need to uh, – they want to sign at least one to two more receivers. Uh, and recently with, with Merrigan and Washington declaring for the draft, safety became more of a priority. So they were, they were looking for two safeties – uh, maybe even a, a linebacker safety type. Uh, the Robert Barnes kid from Oklahoma is an interesting name uh, to keep to keep an eye on because I think he kind of gives you a player at each position. I don't think TCU has talked to him yet, but uh, you you want to look for guys that that can fill that role, especially since you're losing a, a guy like Merrick who is an older player. Uh, Washington, I, I feel like. He, he was young enough that they're not going to have to rely on a JUCO transfer or grad transfer or anything like that. But um, safety did become a priority, whether it's through uh, the, the transfer portal or whether it's through finding a guy that uh, can sign and, and, and be on campus uh, you know, pretty quick and, and be able to go through fall camp and compete right away. Um, not, a, not to be a starter, but just to add some, some good depth. But I think with where they're at right now, they got 15 guys. Obviously, Merrigan Washington opened up a couple spots. You could see them end up signing a class of around 20, 19 to 20 kids, which is really, really surprising. But that's how recruiting works. And that's what do I tell you every year, Jeff? And you always demand to to let you know. I want the exact number at least a year and a half out. Yes, you you always you text me, you call me because you can't sleep at night. You need to know. How many numbers? Because it messes with your scholarship chart and annoying group of 20 scholarship chart. You don't get it. But I'm joking with you, Jeff, but there are guys that really get bothered by the whole 85 scholarship limit. They 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 really get bothered by it because they feel like TCU's just running off guys and, and doing whatnot. But um, they're, it, it's surprising that they're going to be anywhere close to 20 because when it all first started, when, when I first start, Hey, how many how many guys does does TCU expect to take? Oh, this class is going to be man, maybe nine, maybe ten tops. We only have eight seniors graduating. We we don't have a lot of scholarships to give away, so it was really going to be a small class to begin with. And then you had all the guys enter the transfer portal. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, Merrigan and Washington leaving early. It opens up scholarships, so for them to be able to sign anywhere between 18 and 20 is pretty pretty big in my opinion. Well, we'll see how that unfolds here in a little over a month here for the second signing day. All the energy is now in December on early signing day. That's basically signing day, so we'll see what unfolds yeah. here over the next month and month plus. All right, Billy, I'm going to ask you a serious question. Do you believe Tom Herman – deserved to have been fired. If you were Christel Conti, do you, would you have fired Tom Herman? Obviously, Texas, I woke up yesterday, Tom Herman was fired. We'll talk about hiring Sark, but just that baseline question, should Herman have been let go? He should have been let go like a year and a half ago. I don't know what took so long. I The whole okay, cool, hook him thing where he was supporting a guy accused of what, cheating his girlfriend and and violent domestic violence and stuff. I, I don't get how you continue to back a guy that has that much of a checkered history. Uh, but they did. T- uh, Texas did. And they uh, continue to use, okay, cool hook them, which again, if you look at where that saying came from, that's not, it's not a great origin story, right? It's like the Wolverine movie. It's not a good origin story. I don't get how 
they were cool with him sticking around for as long as he did. As far as on the field stuff, I mean, no, I guess not. They won the Alamo Bowl, but they won the Sugar Bowl a couple years ago. I I, I think on the field he was fine. It, not, no problem for TCU and TCU fans, but I think off the field stuff should have been a big enough reason to let go of him a, a while ago. Right now it doesn't make any sense, but I guess Sark is, uh, is hot as heck right now, so go for him now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you assess Herman at Texas because it's never just on the field. My understanding is that, uh, you know, Delcani was willing to keep him. You know, he had that real tepid statement. You know, when you get that, uh, that looming statement of support from the athletic director, you know you're in trouble. But he got that statement. They said he was going to be back for 2021. But it turns out that Delcani's like a real literalist. He got to 2021. He returned into 2021. And then like a day later, he got canned. So I, I don't know how you assess Herman. I just think it was a bad fit. But the problem was, you know, at least in my assessment, when he came in, I thought this is a great fit. This is somebody that has won a national title as an offensive coordinator, that he did, uh, you know, good things at Houston. But at the same time, things just never quite gelled at Texas the way that he thought they were. It was all about culture and alignment and what they wanted to get done in the program. But, you know, look at I think it was uh, I think it was Max Olson that um, from The Athletic that wrote an article about uh, how many one score games that Texas has been in. And, you know, that they, they, they get into games that are tight that they should not be in. And then they you get into those games. You're going to lose some games that you shouldn't uh, lose when you're in those one score games. And so he obviously didn't accomplish enough on the field. But, you know, do you fire Herman to go hire Steve Sarkeesian? I don't <laughs> I don't know. Jeremy, what's your assessment of this? Well, if, if he was at another place other than Texas, that's uh, not a blue blood. I mean, let's, for example, if they just went, the if they just had the season they had this year at TCU, he's coming back next year. Even even with all his, you know, years years past, what he's done on the field, he's, he's still at TCU. I mean, he, he, you know, Gary Patterson, we could talk about while he's still there. He built TCU's program, but I still feel – even if Herman would have had the exact same record at TCU, he still would be TCU's coach. Baylor, you know, pretty much anywhere except the big blue bloods, Alabama, you know, the, the Ohio States, USC's, Texas. The problem with Texas is they see all these other blue bloods and they just get enraged with jealousy and, and crowd themselves to sleep at night trying to figure out why they're not competing for national championships. And the, the thing about it is, is like, they may be financially one of the top programs in, in the nation. They may have all the greatest facilities, but they, other than the name on the front of your Jersey, you're not a blue blood program right now. They, they are not anywhere close to being in the, in the same discussion as Alabama or Ohio state, even Clemson. I mean, those, those teams right there have done so much more than Texas. And the funny thing about it is it's like, it's like my kid going into a store, okay? My son Brody, when he has money in his pocket, it just burn, it just burns out. And so he may go to a store with one thing in mind, and that thing may not be on the shelf. And what does he do? Do you think he says, "Okay, dad, we can leave?" What do you think he does? He starts looking around the store for something else to buy. That's exactly what these big money donors do at Texas. They had no reason. They didn't get Urban Meyer. Everyone knew except people that bleed burn orange knew that Urban Meyer wasn't going to Texas. Then it became Brian Kelly. Okay. The pipe dreams continued to grow. So they were willing to spend $25 million to buy out Tom Herman to get those coaches. Well, 
they they were told they're not coming to Texas. They're not going to Austin. So what happens? Those big money donors want so much to have a new coach that the rumor down in Austin is they just kind of went around Chris Delconi. And it wasn't his decision. Chris is going to take a lot of heat because he called some of those recruits. I honestly don't think that Chris wanted to fire Tom Herman. I think he was pressured into doing it because of all the big money donors. The funny thing about it is they're spending as much money to fire Tom Herman to hire a guy that's almost exactly like him when it comes to what he's been able to accomplish as a coach. They, they made the same hire with Charlie Strong. If, if you're going to spend that kind of money and you want to really complete the change and just make your program do a complete 180, you got to go out there and hire those, those big names like Urban Meyer and Brian Kelly. But right now, no one wants to go to Texas because they know the stress that's involved in those, those coaching positions. Sark, Steve Sarkeesian, I already feel sorry for him. I was telling all my Texas buddies, maybe you guys give this guy three year, three or four years too, or maybe even five years. Maybe y'all give him five years to get be successful down there because any anytime they go seven, seven and five, eight and four, it's it's gonna be a bad season. And that's that's where their program is at. It and and people wonder, you know, some of the fans on TCU's board, they feel the same way. And it's kind of like, man, you guys should have been rooting for Texas because that's how Texas fans feel. But that's that's the that's the state those fans are in. If, if they don't have someone come in and win a national championship, it's it's going to be a it, it's it's going to be a bad hire. And, and right now, I just being completely honest, if I'm a Texas fan, I'm I'm not I'm not overly excited about it. Yeah, he he he's going to go out and get great recruiting classes. When has Texas not had a great recruiting class? You know what I mean? When, when have they not consistently been in the top 10, top 15 and uh, landing some of the nation's top players? They've, they've, they've had great talent every year. Charlie, Mac Brown, Charlie Strong, Tom Herman, they've had some of the best players, not only from Texas, but the entire nation. I, I mean, heck, B. John Robinson, number one running back over Zach Evans this past year. I mean, they recruit good players. And they're just not getting it done. And and Sarkeesian, he was where was he? Alabama, uh, playing with arguably the the best college football coach of his time, and playing with the best athletes. I mean, if I had Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Devontae Smith on my offense, I'd probably look like a pretty good offensive coordinator too. Hey, run uh, that play where Harris scores. Yeah, uh, Devontae, uh, run whatever route you want to do to get open. Okay, coach, okay. I got you. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. And, and Jalen Waddle, I mean, when they have that guy in there, I mean, it's even, it's even worse, but you have a, a, a ridiculous amount of riches down there in Alabama to choose from, and you should have a pretty good ridiculous amount of riches at Texas too. But I, I just don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sold on this hire. Um, obviously I, I could be eating a lot of crow in the next two or three years, but Right now, I, I see this as exactly uh, as the previous hires they've had, Charlie Strong and Tom Herman. One of the things, and man, I don't want to up a, open up a can of worms, but I'm just going to observe it. One of the things that really startled me, because I, I, I will admit I've been looking at some Texas boards over the last uh, couple of days. At Houston, people talked about him as a real players coach. This summer, during uh, the, the protests and um, the, the concerns about uh, police violence, Herman was out there with his players 
walking, protesting, uh, being aligned with them as much as they could around around their concerns and in, in, in their lives. And he was as identified publicly with that as any college football coach that I saw. And at the same time, he seems to have lost that locker room as well as so many players that had played for him and had left the program. And mm-hmm. so he kind of had this tension here where he was publicly trying to really align himself. I'm a player's coach. I listen to you. I understand your concerns. And at the same time, they all hated him. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's a real interesting dynamic there. And, you know, I don't want to question his motives. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But it, it's a real interesting dynamic there between him really wanting to put a, a face forward that identified players' concerns and, and their experiences, and at the same time, they were all really glad to see him go. So that it's, those, it's not just weird. players. I mean, players, former players, um, media. He was very arrogant toward the media. Yeah, um, coaches don't like to work with him. I had one coach tell me straight up he would never ever work for Tom Herman. So my suggestion that we hire him, you don't think that's going to happen? Not in a million years. I did that with my tongue in cheek just to see who would uh, jump on board. Well, yeah, you got the SMU guy thinking that you were telling the truth. And so now he's like, he's throwing our, trying to throw our side under the bus. Yeah. All right. Question to, to wrap this all up, Billy. If you were Del Conte and you had the chance to hire someone and, and not, you know, Bear Bryant or, you know, not a dead guy, not like or, or go back up the Brinks truck and get Nick Saban to come here. No dead people and no one in Alabama. Who would you have hired? Lincoln Riley. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's possible, <laughs> but I, I would do whatever it takes to get someone like him I, as far as. Great college football minds right now, right? I mean, you've got what Ryan Day is doing well. I mean, helps me get five five weeks a season um, to help you get in the playoff for that one. Uh, Dabo, obviously, if you can get Dabo, Nick Saban, um, what Dan Mullins jumping jumping the to the NFL, he says anyway. Go to Oregon, second under Bayou. So I think, I mean, sure. I mean the. Sar- Sarkeesian's hotter now, but you, like you said, is the exact same hire as Tom Herman. Uh, so I'm sure this will last for two seasons, and they'll get rid of him too, and uh, they'll just recycle. It's all it's times a flat circle, my friends. So it's all that matters. It is. All right, who's, who's more going to hit get a job at you next? Quick question: Out of these three guys, Tom Herman, Urban Meyer, Art Bryles, who's working for TCU next? Urban Meyer. Tom Herman as the offensive coordinator for head coach Zarnell Fitch. Obviously, no, that's happening, but I think those are just the three uh, worst possible names to wear purple that I could think of. I I agree. I agree. (laughs) All right, let's go to some listener questions. We're going to get these off our message board. We're going to go lightning round here. Quick uh, one or two sentence uh, answers to all this. Billy. Um, assuming that Morris gets a waiver and is eligible to play next year, who is the starting quarterback at TCU in 2021? Max Duggan and 2022. All right. Jeremy, do we have any other players that we should expect to hit the portal? Uh, not off the top of my head. I've asked around about it, and, and I haven't heard any new names that seem to be unhappy right now. Okay, David Evans, 29. This is the one question you get the entire season. I Pass. Pass. <laughs> Pass. No, I'm gonna go, have, ahead and ask it. go ahead and ask it because I, I, I like to hear it. Okay. Uh, give us the Marcel new, Brooks news. <laughs> <laughs> Starting Billy, quarter. You take this one. I'm done talking about it. 
<laughs> oh man, uh, Billy. Billy's not even responding to it. Yeah, I think it's gonna be starting quarterback next year. Well, that was later on. So, all right, we checked that one off. Um, yes, he, he. There's a possibility of that. I, to be honest, and, and all joking aside, I think we. I, I mentioned it tongue in cheek a few a few weeks ago that receiver was a possibility because I was told that receiver was a possibility. I I think it's becoming more of a certainty at this point. I I would say we see him at receiver more than we do on the defensive side of the ball. Oh my goodness. 809, January 3rd, 809 central time. Jeremy is predicting Marcel Brooks playing wide receiver next year. I just wanted to get that on the record. All right, Billy, do you think um, we'll ever reach the point where Evans is our featured back getting 60% or more of the carries? Yeah. Next season. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, Jeremy, why is Chandler Morris coming here even if he doesn't know who his quarterback's coach is going to be? Be. That's the greatness of public information not being public yet. Fair enough. I will go for that. If you listen to this podcast, you should um, be able to understand that answer. Uh, Billy, we're going to lean on you for basketball for basically all time and eternity now. Uh, Basketball-related, Billy, um, how do you think the team's playing this uh, so far this year? And seven of our ex- next eight games are against ranked teams. How do you think we're going to shake out in that eight-game run? Um, I, it would not shock me if they lost all eight. I mean, it's, that sounds really pessimistic, but you have seven of the next eight are against ranked teams, and the other one is against Oklahoma, which TCU has literally never won in Norman. I went back. They've never won there. So uh, it's just some bad uh, voodoo going on there. I mean, TCU, I think they're playing better than I thought they were. uh, I thought they would at this point in the season. But it seems like every game they play exactly to the level as their opponent against teams like Prairie View A&M and Kansas State, who lost to a D3 school a couple weeks ago. So I'm not expecting them to shock the world against Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, Texas, Missouri, uh, and Oklahoma the next month or so it's gonna be a really tough stretch for them if they can pull out two of these eight games i will be uh floored and very ecstatic for this team i'm gonna be interested to see our assessment of jamie dixon at the end of the season because ever since he did not get to take the ucla job i've had a real curious eye on that um we'll we'll talk about that moving forward jeremy any grad transfers leaning our way that we know of at this time none that i'm aware of CT Frog 96 Billy wants to know why isn't the Gary Patterson statue taller? <laughs> well, he's not taller. I, I mean, it's like you can only base it off a real person, right? You can't just add six inches to his to his head. Yeah, I, I guess that's not. Um, I guess you can't do that. I guess he's, you can't do. That. He is taller than that statue, I believe, right? But it's, he's definitely he's definitely thinner. Well, I think he's. Well, he, he always loses weight in the offseason, right? And that's what he always says. Then he always loses a whole bunch of weight in the summer. And then Probably, during, yeah. the fall, during the fall, he, he gets back to his playing weight, if you will. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, you can't just make him a, a foot taller if you want to. But I think he's still a little bit taller than the statue. So, I think we actually have a quote on that. Jeremy, can you cue up the file about him losing weight every summer? Do you have that? <laughs> I don't know how he lo- – <laughs> I'm trying to look from, through my paperwork. That's, you're asking me a tough question on the spot. No, well, we'll, we'll let that one go. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I was fishing for a Gary Patterson impersonation there. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't catch. I, I didn't catch. I caught it, but I don't do a TV impression. No. 
All right, this is actually some breaking news I did not know. Barton Simmons, who is uh, y'all's boss in one way or another, has been hired by Vanderbilt. Jeremy, when is uh, Coach Patterson going to hire you? (laughs) Oh, man. What a dream job that would be. Oh, I don't know. I guess when I apply, maybe. Okay. It's be a pay cut. Yeah. <laughs> Say, you got to pay for that pool, baby. Yeah. <laughs> got to pay for that pool. Uh, Tykees Crawford transfer. Anybody, is he on our radar, Jeremy? Uh, I've asked around about it, and all I've been told so far is possibly. They did recruit him out of Carthage. Okay. Billy, we had a lot of 2020 players that made an impact this season. Anybody from the 2021 class that you think is going to make an impact this fall? Ooh, um, let me see. You get – the, the first thing that pops in my head is anyone that can be a return man or receiver, right? Because it seems like a freshman comes in every year uh, and does something that like, oh, if you can catch the ball, you can play on the field and get some sort of run. Uh, maybe a linebacker with Javion Gibson – uh, because they're trying to find someone to replace Walla if he comes in and his lights out. But I think Jasper a lot. I think J- Jeremy said it earlier. I like Jasper a lot an awful lot. Uh, pun unintended. There. I think he'll be good this year. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. This will be for both of y'all. We'll start with Jeremy. Over under on win total next year. You just want the number? Yeah. Well, let me. Oh, let me back up. I stopped halfway through. Um, the the over the over under over under is at nine and a half. Excuse me. The the question is nine and a half. Do you take the over or the under on that with a regular season, just twelve game season? I'm gonna go. If it's nine and a half, I'm gonna go under, but just slightly. I'm gonna go nine. You go nine, Billy. I'm going over. I'm all in, baby. I, I called a win in Oklahoma two years ago for 2021. It's got to happen. Uh, I'm gonna give them. I'm gonna give them 11 and put them in the Big 12 title game and make it to the playoff, baby. I don't know, uh, but I think I think over nine and a half. I'm way too hyped for next season. Um, you know, the last time they've actually won exactly nine games in a season before. Well, well let me tell you, the last time they won nine games. The last time they won nine games. Uh, it has not been in the Gary Patterson era. I do know that. Um, let's see. They were f- uh, Fran's second season. It's literally been. I looked this up. We had a, a Twitter question on my podcast a while back about about it. It's been a long time. Uh, it's been exactly since I'm pulling up list now. 1955. They went nine and two. 1955. Because I I had a post on the board this week. Um, people make predictions like eight and four or nine and three. The frogs never go eight and four and nine and three. They're either like 500 or maybe a game or above or below, or they're a top 10 team. That's all we've done in the big 12 other than 2013 when they went four and eight. And I think that team was better than every team except the teams that finished in the top 10. So yeah, they're flat or they're in the top 10. So uh, yeah, nine is not really an option unless, unless we want to reach back as far as you did. So I just think road games in Norman and Ames will be tough. And then I just always – you always got to put in for the one that they might not should lose, you know. Texas is going to be tough. I still think think playing in Lubbock is going to be tough. You never know what's going to happen up there. Yep. I mean, look at 2015 and how that finished out. Yeah. I mean, you're having to rely on a miraculous catch by Aaron Green. I'll take it. Um. 
All right, uh, two more quick questions here. Uh, Jeremy, if uh, Downing leaves the program in the fall or in the spring like you're thinking it's going to and uh, uh, Stefan Brown is not there to uh, implement his um, his design package, who is going to be the backup if Chandler Morris does not get a waiver? I think Sam Jackson. Okay. That's a I think him being I think him being on campus in the spring and going through spring camp. That's one thing we didn't mention earlier. I think spring, I think with them knowing all the protocols and everything with COVID now, Mm -hmm. we'll be able to see them go through a spring camp. They've, they've learned so much over the last year, almost the last year um, for how they can combat this. And I think now I, I think we'll see more than four practices in the spring. And that'll be huge for guys like Sam. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, Billy, you get the last question from Annoying Group of 20. He says he's asking for a friend. When putting away your Christmas lights, what is the equilibrium point between the number of burned out lights on the garland and such in making your wife mad at you in the process? My friend has not reached the mad phase, but has gotten a lot tied up in the decorations and he might need Geraldo Rivera to untangle them. Your thoughts? I don't understand three quarters of that sentence. Um, my girlfriend put up everything away yesterday on Christmas Eve. So I, I didn't, I literally did nothing. I watched whatever bowl game was on yesterday, the A&M game while she did it all. So that's okay. your, that's your job. Get someone that's OCD okay. and won't let you. Mess. Okay. <laughs> all right. Annoying group of 20 is always good for some good questions. So. All right, fellas, thank you so much. This podcast went a little longer than I thought, but we had a breakdown in the middle, and I wanted to get everything answered for us. I appreciate you guys sticking with us. If you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com, sign up, subscribe. This is the place you're going to want to stay connected to as we sprint towards second signing day, and as Jeremy referenced, a much better spring practice for us to be able to get some information and little nuggets rolling out of things going on there on Stadium Drive. So until we get back together again, for Billy Weston, for Jeremy Clark, and Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the broadcast.